This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such an honor to present this next award. And here are the nominees. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. I'm the king of the world. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. We are here to kick off yet another Oscar season, sort of. It's our 2024 Oscar predictions episode. I am joined by Richard Lawson. Hello. By Rebecca Ford. Hi. By David Canfield. Hello. And if we're predicting the Oscars a year ahead, we must be joined by Joe Reed. Hi, hello. <laughs> Joe, you were just here with us a couple weeks ago. We're really um, uh, doubling down. It's great. It's a, a pleasure to have you back. You're throwing me through time in the 21st century, and I'm very <laughs> excited about that. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, we are, you know, a week past the 2023 Oscars as we record this. We're ready to look ahead in our annual tradition, um, leaning heavily on Joe's spreadsheet of a bunch of upcoming movies, uh, hopefully many of which come out this year, as you're about to hear last year. We were really looking towards some titles that didn't make it. Um, so anyway, we're going to do our best to look at the year ahead. But first... We look back at last year's predictions as usual. Um, I know Rebecca went back and listened to last year's episode. Did anyone else do this and spoil themselves on how well we did? I did a little, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, uh, then you know the real spoiler, which is that in our entire episode, which was recorded April 1st, 2022, we did not mention everything everywhere all at once. At all. <laughs> not once. Uh, it had already premiered at South By. I had not seen it yet. I went and checked my like diary to see when I had seen it. Um, but I did want to say before I give us too hard a time that a week later, uh, Richard and I recorded an episode with Chris Murphy. David and Rebecca were already on vacation. And uh, we did get more into it. And I have one clip from that that I felt like I should share. So let's hear the first clip. My one question, though, in terms of the movie's Oscar chances is, you know, with all of its hot dog fingers and magic butt plugs, <laughs> hasn't the Academy had enough of that after Belfast? You know? Richard, you nailed it, I think. The, the Searing Academy. analysis. <laughs> in our defense, that movie hadn't even come out in theaters yet, right? Like It, it had was barely just... come out. Like, I think it was on about 10 screens. You hadn't seen it yet. Chris Murphy and I just had. Um, and... David and Rebecca, I don't know when you guys saw it, honestly. I'm not sure if you had seen it before we recorded last year's predictions, or, or Joe, you too? I think I went to like a CAA screening, and it was a kind of tastemakery event that made you think that they were positioning it in a surprising way, given what the movie was and when it came out. Um, but definitely did not have the expectation that it would go as far as it did at that time. And I think we have to remember, like, I feel like A24 didn't have that expectation at the time either. So it's not like we're the only ones. Who I actually, it's funny that you mentioned that because I do feel like at the time, because I, if I hadn't seen it before we recorded, I definitely had by the time the episode went up. And by that point, I had talked to somebody who knew somebody at A24 who sort of gave me a little bit of a nudge that was just like, they really think very highly of this movie and are, are eyeing an awards campaign. So 
I feel like they they knew they had something there from an early stage, and that's why I sort of had a little bit of faith in once the episode went up. I was like, oh, we didn't really talk about that movie, mostly because we were talking about movies that hadn't opened yet. Yeah. Um, but at that point, I was like, well, I'm just going to ride for Michelle Yeoh for the rest of the year and probably quixotically and whatever, and we'll get to the end of the year, and I'll yell at everybody who, you know, for Michelle Yeoh not getting on the Oscar ballot, and that'll be that. And it turned out a lot more optimistically than that. Yeah. Yeah, that episode from April 14th that we just heard from is called The Michelle Yeoh Oscar Buzz Starts Now. So I'll give us some credit that we we were there at the beginning, just not quite <laughs> as much at the beginning um, as we wanted to be, especially because, uh, as you may hear, you know, Coda had just won Best Picture. We were really trying to keep an eye on the early part of the calendar, um, but we got dazzled by all the stuff off in the near, in the distant future, which may happen again this year. Um, all right, let's go to a first clip from the actual predictions episode last year with, with some of that future looking. You look at the directors with films coming up, and it's pretty insane. It's Spielberg, Scorsese, Inuritu, Chazelle, Mendez. Like, there's a lot of heavy hitters this year. I'm a big Chazelle fan, and, and I, I thought La La Land was pretty wonderful. And I think since his new movie, Babylon, is um, apparently returning to sort of Hollywood and, and all that, I, I and has Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie, I feel like that's my number one in, in my mind right now. A whisper through the grapevine has told me that the Chazelle script is, quote, weird. Good whisper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice whisper, Richard. <laughs> yeah, Margot Robbie whispers to me sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I think we really looked past that weird line for a lot. Because, Rebecca, you really had your eye on Babylon until it premiered. Like, it, it kind of dominated a lot of your coverage and when actual Oscar season began. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, when you saw the trailer and... I got an early look at 50 minutes of the film and I was like, this is going to work for them. And then, you know, that film um, goes off the rails a little bit in the last third, especially. And, and uh, yeah, I had a lot of I had a lot of early faith in there. It had a lot of those. It checked a lot of the boxes that we traditionally assume an awards film will. So, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to the next one, Damien. <laughs> <laughs> it is interesting, though. I mean, I, yeah, I didn't listen to the episode, but I did read back on just some of the initial coverage of the season to come. And a big theme was all of these directors coming out with big, expansive uh, bud uh, movies with budgets larger than what they typically get to work with. And almost all those directors had movies that were among, if not their worst received to date, or in the case of Scorsese, it just didn't come out. So I think that's where you saw movies like Everything Everywhere able to really soar is all of these most anticipated projects, even the ones the people on this podcast liked, like Empire of Light, uh, just did not, <laughs> did not land in any significant way. And it, it did open up that uh, path. But even if you look at what did make not the best picture list, it was a lot of very big, like, like bigness was, was sort of a theme for the best picture list with like, you know, even Elvis, but obviously, you know, Avatar and Top Gun and stuff like that. So the directors who were sort of tapped into this idea that like, oh, I'm going big weren't necessarily on the wrong wavelength. They just like, not all of them <laughs> necessarily hit, unfortunately, for Babylon. My yeah. question now is, have we reached the end of the director memoir era? You know, is there any big heavy hitter? Is Ridley Scott going to turn soft and make, you know, like beyond him and a couple of people? Wasn't that a good year? The wine movie? Oh, yeah, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He was ahead of the game. You have to ask what the appetite is among studios for those movies because they don't make money. And 
voters don't seem to care about them, even movies like Belfast or Fablemans, which go a certain distance, but even they were disappointing in terms of their ultimate haul. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's uh, look ahead to another uh, movie that we flagged a year ago that wound up kind of defining part of our award season. And then more of a passion pick and someone I'm really interested in is Daniel Deadweiler, who uh, I have steadily loved in, in bit parts and things like Station Eleven. She's playing um, Emmett Till's mother in Till, which is a UAR movie. Uh, and we know they've become big players after this year with movies like Licorice Pizza and House of Gucci, <laughs> however poorly that campaign turned out. Uh, and she's someone I would love to see get a real breakout this year. David, credit one last time for being on Daniel Deadweiler first and really pushing that through. And, you know, we've talked a lot about what happened there, but one last time. I just felt my heart sink. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, listen, it's a tremendous performance. So that uh, turned out well. Yeah. Um, all right, let's go to it. Let's just go quickly to another tremendous performance that we wound up talking about. I'm really curious. I don't know if it has much of a chance maybe beyond lead actress, but like Todd Field is back after yeah. how many? Yes. 15 years away um, with this movie called Tar, which is a biopic about a conductor, I believe. Um, and Kate Blanchett is playing that person. And uh, no matter what it is, having just recapped the In the Bedroom Oscars, like I'm just so curious. So I was making the biopic joke. I was going to say, you're I, the one who started I, that whole thing. I knew that she wasn't real. No, I genuinely was like, oh, it, I was trying to hide my disappointment in that episode because I was like, I don't want to see a music biopic. But I genuinely <laughs> thought it was. That's fantastic. Maybe I could have Googled Lydia Tarr with that before then. Hmm. We just assumed it was a conductor that was too fancy for us to know about, right? Yeah. yeah. I assumed it was like some, you know, Hungarian person from the mid-century and it's maybe about a war, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know what I thought. I love the air of mystery that was around that movie, really until, like, I guess, Richard, you saw it right before Venice, so in New York, and, like, you and a couple other people were like, oh, my God, because it was so flying under the radar, really, until that moment. I can't think of a mysterious project from a filmmaker who, you know, disappeared for, after, you know, lauded films. Like, that movie surpassed any hype I, I dared to have for it, you know. Um, that was a very exciting moment in that early, early stretch of the award season. Um, so at least it was on our radar. I mean, how could it not be given that the filmmaker and the star? But um, clearly, I knew nothing about what the movie was until I went to that screening, which is pretty exciting. And uh, now I'm checking the record. It won uh, zero Academy Awards. <laughs> yeah. It Indeed. is a shame. Yeah. There's yeah. a couple of films where now when I think back on it, I'm a little bummed they didn't get at least one trophy. And that's definitely one of them. Yeah. Um, well, actually, next one up is another one. Colin Farrell is having a bit of a in Bruges reunion with uh, Martin McDonough and Brendan Gleeson in a movie called The Banshees of Inishrin. I'm going to pronounce it that way and hope my <laughs> Irish uh, forebears will forgive me. That in Bruges nomination that didn't happen for Colin Farrell, I wonder if there's a little bit of like, what's the opposite of buyer's remorse, the non-buyer's remorse, uh, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. some regret that that probably should have been an Oscar nomination for Colin Farrell. He did win the Golden Globe. Uh, it does stand as one of his best performances. And now maybe they get a second crack at it. Good job, Joe. I almost had it entirely. If I would have just pronounced the goddamn island right, then I'd have been... <laughs> it is a fake island. So. It is, yeah, I was going to say, in my defense, it's not a real place. <laughs> 
I mean, that Colin Farrell uh, return buzz, and Joe, I think we talked last year about how you had a running bet on your uh, This Head Oscar podcast about Colin getting that nomination, which he did. Congratulations. I don't know how much money you won. $50 wealthier today than I was a year ago. (laughs) Congratulations. Um, Yeah, that Colin Farrell comeback, uh, it went a long way until it it could go no further, which is always going to be a mystery to me, I think. Well, yeah, another comeback. <laughs> it's it, it's similarly with Danielle Deadweiler, though. I feel like there is value in having a narrative where you do come up short, and then people down the road will remember that, like, oh, maybe we owe you one a little bit. So um, there's there's you know material for a future Oscar campaign in there for both uh, Danielle and Colin. For sure. Joe, are you gonna have a new bet where you? Win if he wins an Oscar because I I'm trying like... to think of what my next bet will be. That could be the that could be the next one. Um, I think I threw out some sort of uh, ill-considered thing where I said Laura Linney would win an Oscar in the next ten years, but that's mostly wishful thinking than anything else. Mm-hmm. But we'll see how that goes. I, don't, I haven't checked to see if she's on the spreadsheet for this coming year, but it always seems possible. Yes, now that she's sort of out of the Ozarks, that maybe we can start putting her <laughs> in movies again. Maybe that would be nice. Um, all right, let's go to the movie that we might have spent the most time talking about on last year's episode. I didn't go through it enough to look by studio, but, you know, United Artists had this really interesting year this past year with House of Gucci and Bond and stuff that I'm not thinking of. So, you know, are they going to be even more of a player next year? They've got Women Talking, the Sarah Polly movie that I'm going to lose my mind over. Sarah Polly can do no wrong. She really can. It's going to be so good. It's going to be good. (laughs) We were so hyped, David. We stayed (laughs) hyped the whole time. Academy Award winning movie. Yes, that's right. (laughs) You did get the ah. title wrong, though, Katie, so sorry. Um, almost. <laughs> Women are talking. Women are talking, yeah, yeah. As, as we know now. As, as Mark Wahlberg taught us. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I think we talked a lot about this last week as we were wrapping up the Oscars, and you know, we had all talked to Sarah Polly holding her Oscar at the Oscar party. What a moment. Um, but I'm just really proud of us for being on top of that um, for a, a pretty small movie so early on. Yeah, I mean, one of the last three movies standing when it came to big... <laughs> Eight categories yeah. Uh, yeah. between that, the whale, and everything everywhere. Uh, and of the ones that we were really forward looking on, I think that was the one that perhaps improbably, given that very rocky road it had after Telluride, yeah. um, kind of lasted and, and made it in the end with the big win that I think we all saw was the big possibility for even before it premiered. Yeah. It's the Little Gold Men book club bump. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, everyone looked forward to that this August. All credit um, to Katie Reich for that. I wonder what lesson will be learned from that women talking campaign, because it really was Sarah Polly just going to everything and continuing like to be on the circuit and be good to talk to and like standing up against disinterest or like weird hostility from customs agents, as she's told you, David. Um, I don't know if you replicate that with someone who's not Sarah Polly, but it does seem like a, a good path for a small, difficult movie. I think one of the unique things about that campaign was the way I mean, Sarah Polly is an amazing storyteller. And she was able to allow the story of that movie, of that campaign to really evolve as the conversation around that movie evolved and kind of deteriorated at a certain point. And she took it all with good humor and a certain level of distance and perspective. And I think it allowed people to still be welcomed into that movie and the, I don't want to say the fandom for that movie, but the appreciation for that movie in a way that I think most Oscar campaigns, even the successful ones, just run out of steam. There's only so much you can say, but she really had an ability, and I just noticed this and having spoken to her many times over the past few months, uh, to 
be really present with where the movie was in the culture, in the Oscar conversation, and kind of forward that that discussion in a way that was really, I found, compelling. Yeah, you got to have your phase one narrative, your phase two narrative, your post-voting narrative. It's a... Uh... It's a skill. She learned, she learned it, too. She's yeah. like, I know phase one. I know phase <laughs> I know. two. <laughs> Stated on little so, gold men. I'm sorry, Sarah Polly, for, <laughs> for having to learn that. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, all right. Let's go, let's go to one of our other preseason heavy hitters. You may know where, which one this one's going to be. I'm interested in Spielberg's uh, Roma as, as yeah. the, the fable men. <laughs> Every year we have a Roma. Yeah, <laughs> it's his, um, you know, inspired by his childhood story. It co-wrote it with Tony Kushner, starring Michelle Williams, Seth Rogen. But, you know, what I'm realizing is making a Roma does not mean you're going to win Oscars. <laughs> well said, Rebecca Ford. Don't make a Roma. <laughs> That's all I have to say. Uh, I mean, we'll get to this at the end, but that did not stop several of us from predicting that the Fablemans would win Best Picture um, because, you know, at that point, how could it lose? We're most we're all children of an era when that would have won Best Picture. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm. In, in our defense. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. You know? Well, yeah, it's a lesson we keep learning year after year doing these predictions is um, what you don't see coming is probably what's going to win. Well, and I think we had gotten to the point with Spielberg, too, where it's just like he, you know, keeps having these movies get close to the finish line and then a movie that has a lot of heart, you know, not to coin a term, uh, ends up <laughs> winning. <already> did. <laughs> right? And and so it's just like, well, this movie seems like it's 99% heart, so maybe this will work. And mm-hmm. um, the movie ended up being a little bit different than that expectation, too, a little bit, I think, to its benefit, but maybe uh, not so much to awards voters' benefit. Um, so we didn't clip the whole episode, obviously. And there's a part where we talk about Wes Anderson and Asteroid City, which we may talk about later because it's actually coming out this year. Um, but I talked about uh, Matt Dillon as someone who could have a comeback on the level of uh, Brendan Fraser, who had been popping up in a whole bunch of movies. Um, so then we segued to another movie. Well, speaking of Brendan Fraser, you have The Whale at A24. Mm. Oh, boy. In the arc of Brendan Fraser's comeback, this movie will play a big role one way or another. So I guess it's it's one to look out for. I just want to note Joe's oh boy, uh, for the record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> About I time traveled from the future for that little aside. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think we all, you know, we're looking at this with some concern from the very start. Um, you know, Joe, you said that you'd love a Brendan Fraser comeback, but you're bummed out at the idea. And David suggested that Aronofsky might not render it with a particularly sensitive touch. Um, so we yeah, were, imagine we were that. Right. Yeah. Uh, now an Oscar winning film, two time Oscar winning film, yeah. actually. Um, I don't know what happens next. You know, Brendan Fraser's working. Aronofsky, I don't know if he's announced his next movie. Um, you know, I don't know what the, where the historical record's going to land on the whale, really. I think Brendan Fraser will probably end up with a, you know, television series to call his own. And, hmm. um, you know, we'll all sort of look back on the whale however we look back on the whale. Um, But it's his moment. You know what I mean? Like Oscars about moments and that was his. And I think as you sort of look back on it, it'll, you know, it it was the neck and neck with Austin Butler will probably recede a little bit. And it's just like, Oh yeah, that was the moment we were all going to pay respects to Brendan Fraser's career, such as it was. Yeah. Um, well, we talked about The Whale as, you know, being part of A24's gigantic slate. They swept all the top Oscar categories, uh, as we talked about last week. And um, Rebecca, you kind of had your eye on what else they had. Although, again, missing a certain title. But we'll get into the rest of them. 
I do think A24 has their hands full this season. From what we know about them, they don't spend as much as, like, say, a Netflix. I mean, no one spends as much as a Netflix. But, <laughs> uh, you know, they're, I think they're going to have to make some choices once these films start rolling out. And they have a lot of good stuff. So they did spend a lot of money on everything, everywhere, all at once is the consensus, right? Compared to what they would usually do? I think they're also really just smart about the way they market I don't. I mean, I think they. Yes, they spent more money than they have in years past. Um, that seems for sure. I'm sure once they realized that there was a lot of momentum there. Um, but again, they're they're super mysterious about what they do, and their founders don't really do interviews, so we don't know as much as we do about other places. But yeah, I mean, they definitely did the most significant push of their awards history. You know, I mean, they won with Moonlight, but that was nothing compared to the the push they did now. Yeah, and I remember in Telluride, you know, they had After Sun there. They had the inspection in Toronto, um, but everything everywhere was, you know, Michelle Yeoh was in Telluride and they had a TIFF tribute. So that movie was also on the fault circuit along with those movies the whole time. So they definitely had a robust operation for that movie as long as they did for all of their fall premieres. Yeah. Yeah, we, in this part, we talked a lot about Ari Aster and um, his movie, which we'll talk about in a minute, is coming out this year. And Richard, you said you heard a rumor it was four hours long. Um, I don't know if that rumor still stands, but that was About funny. six weeks after that episode, I ran into someone from A24 at Cannes, and she was like, hey, so um, I listened to that preview episode. <laughs> we would not release a four-hour four movie. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. All right. Uh, one year later, we uh, stand by this correction. We apologize for the <laughs> Um, all right. Well, it's time for us to get away from predictions that we got right. Um, there's always there's always a, a bomb waiting around the corner. So let's get to one of those. Speaking of feeling due, you know, I, I said on the podcast last year, like, oh, what better way to say Hollywood's back than Will Smith? And, you know, it would have been this big career capping thing. Not a, not the same kind of performer, but like Hugh Jackman. Uh, yeah. who, like, yeah. I wish they had released Bad Education in theaters. I think that could have been yeah. a nomination for him. Um, but he has Florian Zeller's new film, The Sun. Yeah, and it worked out. <laughs> <laughs> great movie, great performance, won the Oscar. You were talking about seeing Tar before Venice. Did you see The Sun at Venice? Was it, like, the opposite of that Tar feeling of uh, expectations? I, I, I actually did see it before, yeah. Um, I think and we all did. So yeah. I did um, when I was at Venice you know, ran into a few people and I was like, what are you seeing today? And I was like, there were the sun. And I said, okay, well, let me know what you think afterward. Like, <laughs> not going to tell you not to go, obviously, but uh, yeah, that uh, one did not pan out. I mean, I feel like did that, did that ever, even though it got bad reviews, like sometimes movies can still have awards traction. That one just never did. Right. Like, I mean, he got a Golden Globe nomination. Uh, well, there was yeah, but. there was so much mystery around that fifth slot until After Sun really was able to crest and find that momentum. Um, but it was just sort of the, I guess, pick because it was Hugh Jackman. And I mean, that was a really solid prediction. Florian Zeller had yeah. come off of a multi-Oscar winning debut that I think is a brilliant movie in The Father. And he had, a, a, to Richard's point, a really interesting actor with a really interesting opportunity for a showcase. And it just <laughs> did not work out on it, in my opinion, any level. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's go to another um, maybe future this had Oscar buzz uh, effort for Joe's podcast. <laughs> One I thought was kind of interesting, and I kind of uh, have no idea how it's going to be positioned because it does currently have a September 
release date listed, and of course those things can change. But a movie called The Woman King, directed by Gina Prince Bythewood. Gina Prince Bythewood, speaking of narrative, seems like another person who feels like she's on the precipice of getting that kind of Oscar attention. And she still is, I guess. Honestly, it's the Woman King's so funny. Not to be like, you know, I was wrong, but secretly I was right. But like for a movie that got zero Oscar <laughs> nominations, it really came close to having like four or five Oscar nominations. Yeah. Um, just in terms of like how it felt like it was close in a lot of categories where it didn't get nominated. And ultimately was like a really, really good movie. Like one of the, you know, one of the signature mo- movies of the year in a way, if, you, if you're looking at it sort of beyond... The Oscar conversation. I realize I am just sort of, you know, backing up my wrong prediction there. But, you know, um, it should have. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like one where everyone involved in that movie, Tuesday Beto, even Viola Davis, who's very revered, and Gene Prince Bythewood, all are in a like, more, a stronger position than beforehand. Like that movie has boosted all of their profiles. Yeah. yeah. I feel like they can look at it as a win because it has proven that there is a desire for more of these sort of movies and hopefully Mm -hmm. that opportunity is available to other filmmakers and storytellers as well. So Joe, they're a winner in our hearts. I feel like (laughs) I'll take it. (laughs) Yeah. I think Gina is now like in the club. Like she is someone whose work we will assume has Oscar buzz until proven otherwise. Yeah. And that was not true for a long time for a director who's made a lot of very well-received movies. So that Mm -hmm. is a big, big important shift for her. For sure. Um, All right. Uh, another movie that won no Oscars. Let's hear about it. I mean, exactly. I feel as weird about that trailer as anybody else, but like, I can't not see something that the Boz Lerman makes. I think we, we might all be on the same page there. Yeah. Well, the rumors that's going to be at Cannes, right? And yeah. um, they confirmed Top Gun today, but so this would be the other possibly out of competition, you know, kind of showcase uh, screening. And so it could be Rocket Man, where that movie gets good reviews but doesn't go anywhere. Uh, or it could be Bohemian Rhapsody, which was not at Cannes, but obviously won its lead at an Oscar. And I don't know, Austin Butler has been weirdly simmering for a little bit because of some well-reviewed stage work and the Once Upon a Time the in Hollywood. Carrie Diaries? Uh, and, uh, well, the Carrie Diaries, obviously, yes. Obviously, but, um, yes. He already won a Peabody for that. I don't remember the weird Elvis trailer. Does anyone remember what I was talking about? <laughs> I do. That was the one where it was basically like a monster movie with Tom Hanks as the star of the monster <laughs> movie. That sort of was the vibe that I remember getting from that very first Elvis trailer. Yeah. So it was very accurate of the actual Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> we go on to debate if it's a Tom Hanks vehicle yeah. or an Austin Butler vehicle. So we didn't, yeah, we didn't know who was, it was even centered on at that point. Yeah, that part of the narrative really fell apart, fell up to the wayside as the mm-hmm. Austin Butler campaign went on. And I would argue that, to that movie's discredit, it actually kind of is more centered on Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. like I feel like Austin Butler is kind of a supporting performance of that movie. Um, we might talk about Austin Butler a little bit because he's got other stuff coming up. But I, I would argue that it is the best thing for him that he did not win that Oscar. I think his career yeah. and his like options will be in better shape. So um, it's weird to me that Elvis won no Oscars. But yeah, but it bums me out that Elvis won zero Oscars and is very strange to me also. No mention of All Quiet on the Western Front, no, I'm guessing. No, we did not, no, not a single peep. It was All Quiet on this podcast. I don't yeah. know how that could have been on our, truly, like, you know, we overlooked well, it wasn't international- really on Netflix. I was going to no. say, to Netflix it was a surprise, much less us. Yeah, I think we tend to be a little blind to international films in general when we do this. It's because Cannes usually sets the tone for the international landscape. But yeah, that one, I mean, that wasn't a Cannes. It was just... I don't even know if it was done yet at that point. It was at TIFF and nobody paid attention to it. Like, that's the thing. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. 
It was a weird one. All right, so now in, we're going to get to the point of last year's show where we tried to catch festival movies because Coda had just won Best Picture and um, did. Okay, let's hear it. I wanted to give us a chance to talk about Sundance because we are fresh off of a Sundance winner winning Best Picture. Um, I don't know that it's... I don't see a coda out of this year's lineup, but the closest thing I would would be Good Luck D. Leo Grand, the movie that will probably have another title by the time it comes out. Um, I really Emma- want Emma Thompson to get nominated for this. Yeah. Bill Nye in um, Living. I thought he was really wonderful in that movie, and Sony Classics has it, so they are likely to work whatever magic they can for that movie. David, you saw the exact Sony Classics. Wow. I'm shocked <laughs> I, I said that. <laughs> That's good. I'm did not expect to hear that. Um, yeah, never doubt them. Yeah. Uh, I should Good Luck to You, Leo Grant, have had another title. Would that have helped any? I don't know. I, I think the have. Hulu thing is what, what hurt it. That was yeah. weird. And I guess we knew that. No, because like by then we thought it would have Oscars, and then we thought it was going to be an Emmy thing, and then they made it an Oscar thing. That was, it was a weird back and forth that hopefully won't repeat. And then it felt like an afterthought by that point, which was yeah. a shame. And it didn't need much of a theatrical run. I mean, I think Living just flickered on the side of the CAA building for two hours one time. and then, <laughs> that It needed a campaign that had faith in it. And, and ultimately, yeah. it that didn't happen. Yeah. But that's the Sony Classics. Like, they did it for The Father. They did it for Call Me By Your Name. Like, they have done that for, for Sundance movies. They have a real track record there. I should probably look up what they picked up at this year's festival before. Uh, they did pick up something, and we can ah, talk about it an hour later. Well, but, yeah, I'm excited for a certain performer for that. Studio. We'll get there. Um, we do we just have one last clip um, from last year's episode. So let's hear it. This movie does not need my um, promotion, but I am curious to see what happens with Black Panther. I mean, we know Marvel wants to be a part of the Oscar conversation. Well, they were. Oh, they were. <laughs> the Angela Bassett heartbreak will, will live on, I think, for a long time. I mean, Ruth Carter won, which... Yeah. I thought was a really exciting moment of the show. But, you know, the the Angela Bassett still stings, I think. It makes me wonder what Marvel's future appetite will be to be part of the Oscar conversation if they came that close and couldn't get there. Um, or did it open the door for them to get even closer next time? I'm not really sure. I just don't think they have the project in all right. of the stuff they've announced. It's not, Black Panther always succeeded because it stood separate of mm-hmm. the other ones. And everything coming up that I've heard about or read about is like, no, I think that's more just kind of, you know, traditional in the stream Marvel fair. Uh, you being able to keep track of the Marvel movies that are coming is very impressive, Richard. I've never had that ability. <laughs> that's like 16 movies floating around in your head, probably. Dune 2 is a Marvel movie, right? Yeah. yeah, And Avatar 3. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. The Hall of Center movie is Marvel, but. <laughs> <laughs> Julie Louis-Dreyfus does pop up in like eight Marvel movies a year uh, for no reason that I've been able to figure out. Yeah, just sweep it right in. It's fine. Yeah, there you you go. Um, All right. Let's get to our best picture predictions. As you might have guessed, none of us got it right, as usual. Um, uh, Both Richard and Joe went with the Fablemans. I can't fault you guys for that bet. I think that was the safe play. Um, Rebecca went with Babylon, as you might have guessed from her clip. Uh, I went crazy and went with Stars at Noon. Uh, the Claire Denis movie that I have not seen. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> the theory was that we keep on getting an international auteur who breaks out, and I feel like a Claire Denis movie could absolutely get Oscar buzz. Clearly, that was not the one, um, but I maintain it could happen. Uh, and David, you could still be right. Just a year later, you went with Killers of the Flower Moon. Yes, I know. I remember. <laughs> also a solid bet, uh, but a movie that as of now has not yet come out. 
I feel like we did pretty well. Uh, anyone want to congratulate themselves before we move on to the next year? Let's turn that page. Yeah. <laughs> I don't feel terribly proud of, of thinking that Tar was a biopic, so let's just move on. <laughs> <laughs> there are some people out there who still do, Richard. You, you, Fair you enough. have good company. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. Okay, let's move on to 2023 and the 2024 Oscars. Again, we have this spreadsheet that Joe puts together, um, which... Real, it's like helpful and overwhelming at the same time, I would say. Um, and there's a lot of films with dates and a lot of films that we don't know if they're coming out. Uh, just like last year, we might get some stuff wrong. Um, but David, maybe I'll let you start with Killers of the Flower Moon since it was your prediction last year. Um, you don't have to make your best picture prediction yet, but I would say that movie looms about as large as it did this time last year. Absolutely. It's, uh, I believe, primed for a can premiere. That is the thinking. Um, I, I will be honest, uh, now that we've had two years in a row of, I think, especially in the best picture race, preferences for uh, less weight on noted iconic filmmakers. I'm mm -hmm. a little cooler on its best picture chances, at least for a win. But this still feels like a huge play for Apple. This feels like it could be a really special Scorsese movie, which on the scale of Scorsese movies means it's going to be very special. Uh, it's based on a really a fantastic nonfiction book by David Gran. Um, it's got an amazing cast. Looking at DiCaprio as a mainstay for Scorsese in the Oscars, Jesse Plemons, who is now coming off of his first nomination for Power of the Dog, and Lily Gladstone, who, yeah. uh, if we all remember from Kelly Reichardt's Certain Women and a few other projects, uh, is seems bound for a really juicy uh, awards breakout. So I still remain very excited and high on that one for, you know, at least a big nomination showing. Yeah, she's the part of that movie that I think, you know, even if you're like, oh, Scorsese doesn't even have enough, like kind of the energy the Fablemans had, like she is such a breakout talent that you can imagine people wanting to rally behind. Yeah, it's just hard for me when I heard that Rebecca clip of like, in your retus, him and Spielberg, and it's just like zero Oscars. So, uh, yeah, I'm a little more cautious, but I'm excited for it. It's also an Apple release, which I think is an interesting question. You know, they had Emancipation last year, which we had talked about a little bit. It kind of came and went, maybe intentionally. Um, can they win Best Picture again is an open question. Well, and they also have Steve McQueen's Blitz, um, which is uh, Steve McQueen, obviously director of 12 Years a Slave and My Beloved Widows, directing a movie about the London Blitz in World War II, starring Saoirse Ronan. And that feels like, I mean, you know, follow the the... All Quiet on the Western Front trend, right? Where like something that could be both big and you know sort of bombastic war movie, but also character, you know, with some additional uh, character heft, which would be very nice for um, a war movie. And I don't know. I'm just I'm very high on Steve McQueen. It'll be interesting to see how Apple juggles that and the Scorsese movie, and whether they just sort of just pick one and and let the other one sort of fend for itself, but I'm excited for that one particularly. I'm curious if Blitz can do, you know, kind of make up for something, which is that 12 Years a Slave did win Best Picture, but it, but Steve McQueen did not win Best Director. Yeah. 
And yep. at a time uh, this year aside, when we can kind of, and I guess Nomadland aside, we tend to split these things these days. Like maybe Steve McQueen could win for the big technical achievement, historical mm. sweep of Blitz, while some other, sm- quote, smaller movie can get Best Picture. Yep. That's a cool Apple idea. also has Napoleon, right? So yep. they'll yeah. have a lot of heavy hitters to contend with. I think definitely the right move to get Emancipation, which I thought was not a good movie. Will Smith drama side. I was going to say, had a lot of baggage, too. So, yeah. Yeah, well, yes. But Ridley Scott, though, too, that's another one, you know, where, like, again, if they want to give Best Picture to something more, you know, less conventional, Ridley Scott still doesn't, has a, an empty spot on his shelf, you know, of mm-hmm. awards. Um, so he could be in consideration, too. Hopefully, Napoleon will be more gladiator and less, like, I don't know, Al- Oliver Stone's Alexander. <laughs> right. Yeah, because Ridley right. Scott didn't produce Gladiator, right? He didn't get that Best Picture? Nope. Yeah. I also feel like I had heard that that movie is going to center the the relationship story between Napoleon and Josephine, and Josephine being played by uh, Vanessa Kirby. Napoleon is uh, Joaquin Phoenix, so that would be also an, an interesting angle to go for that movie. Um, well, we, we should really start with A24, maybe, um, since they had mm-hmm. such a dominant Oscar year this year. Um, as I said, we talked a lot about um, the Ari Aster movie, Bo is Afraid. H- isn't he another one who has, like, two movies in the works? But A lot of we... people have two movies in the can right now. Yeah, it's real crazy. theme. Um, they've got Showing Up coming up very shortly, a movie that I love. Um, they've got Past Lives, which premiered at Sundance. Maybe that's where we should start with figuring out uh, how A24 is going to handle this year. Well, that's definitely, like, an er- like a... Second, first half of the year, or barely first half of the year. I guess it's early June, so second half. But um, movie that I I want to be on the record is we, that we talked about <laughs> when we talk <laughs> yes. about this next year. Um, it's amazing. It was the movie of Sundance. Um, incredible performances, incredible writing and directing from a first time filmmaker. Um, I hope that A twenty four can figure out. I mean, it's a much gentler, smaller more delicate movie than everything everywhere. So it's a different kind of campaign you'd have to run. Is it like um, an after sun or is it, uh, I'm it's trying to think it's of like somewhere, wh- it's a little bit more, uh, it's, it feels a little bit bigger than, than after sun, but not much. Yeah. It's got a bit more sweep, I think. Yeah. It's takes place in two different countries and you know, it, it had many decades pass. So yeah. I would put it in the vein of something like Brooklyn, which was a Sunday to come here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that got Saoirse Ronan into that five. It was nominated for picture. I think, in my opinion, I mean, I thought this movie was astounding. I loved it. Uh, I think it should be in that best picture 10. I think it should be in the screenplay five. And I think where the questions start is whether it can get into director, Greta Lee, who's so great, um, in that best actress conversation. Um, but I, I fully expect it to be a part of the end of year conversation. I think the question is, can it be a like all category play or is it like... In that women talking vein of sneaking into a few of the categories where it's will have the friendliest audience, let's say. Mm-hmm. I thought Greta, Greta Lee was so incredible in it. I really yeah. hope, even if she is not a widely known name to like general audiences yet, that she is a part of the conversation because she's so good. And I, it's interesting because it's another story, sort of about it that kind of explores being an immigrant. And I, you know, obviously everything everywhere had that same storyline. And I, I, I know, I know a24 can run a good campaign for them. So I'm hopeful that it remains a part of the conversation too. I also think you would maybe be wise to keep your eye on John Magaro and supporting actor. Um, he's he's like great. An indie darling who's done a lot, you know, Kelly Reichardt movies. 
He's an A24 darling. He's in showing up also. He's running the table. First cow. First cow. First cow. <laughs> and and he's the kind of role in that movie, the kind of where you're like, okay, is this just going to be the hapless guy who's, you know, sort of cast aside? Like, but he factors really interestingly into the story and he gives a beautiful, subtle performance. I mean, all three of them do. Um, so they should all get lots of attention for it. It looks like Greta Lee is also in another A24 movie, Problemista, the Julio Torres movie, which, I mean, Joe, in the piece you wrote for us, you said there's no, no such thing as too weird for Oscars, but Julio Torres's comedy is pretty weird. <laughs> uh, I don't know how much I should flag this, but it looks intriguing. It just premiered at South by Southwest. Oh, right. Is it too weird for Oscars, then? For everything that I've read about I don't know. Uh, Richard, you were at South by Southwest, so I don't know if you saw it, but everything that I read about it seemed to indicate that like it's a, you know, it's an out there comedy, but it doesn't necessarily feel like an Oscar-y thing. Yeah, that movie premiered uh, at like 9.30 at night, so I didn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, what else from A24 then should we be highlighting? I think they are the best at raising up newish directors, and I'm really interested in Rachel Morrison's directorial debut, which is with A24. It's called Flint Strong. Um, it stars Ryan Destiny as a professional boxer. Um, it's based on a true story and she's training for the Olympics, but also has Brian T- Tyree Henry and Judy Greer. And and it, the script was written by Barry Jenkins. So that to me feels like it's got a lot of the, the formula that could really, really work. It doesn't have a release date, I don't think. Yet. That title alone, I mean, a really beleaguered city victim of a lot of, you know, municipal mismanagement and callousness. I know that it's not about the water crisis, but mm. like, you know, one imagines I, I, that'll be a, a back note in it or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think earlier, you know, coming up in a few weeks is the Ari Aster film, Bo is Afraid, you know, mm-hmm. um, which I, I think is going to be a big pivot away from his ornate horror into something more ornate in the Charlie Kaufman vein. I was going to say Charlie trailer. Kaufman too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like, that's another Joaquin Phoenix movie. It has a ton of interesting, like New York theater actors like Nathan Lane, and Patty Lapone. Um, you know, so I, 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 that, you know, I would have said a few years ago, it's an April release. So I don't know. But like, as we learned this year, that doesn't matter. I have my eye on Sean Durkin's new movie, The Iron Claw, mm-hmm. one of these years. Yes. I feel like Sean Durkin is going to break through to the Oscars. Uh, he keeps making really good movies. He directed Martha Marcy May Marlene and uh, The Nest, which was a, a 2020 release. And sometimes those movies from that year kind of feel like they existed in a dream. And that one definitely kind of does for me. Um, I loved it, though. And The Iron Claw is about it's a true life story about this pro wrestling family that uh, sort of famously, you know, cursed is the wrong word, but the Von Erich family going through a series of sort of family tragedies and is um, a well-known story if you follow professional wrestling, especially back from like the 1980s or whatever. Really interesting cast in that movie from uh, Zac Efron is in that one and Harris Dickinson. Jeremy Allen White. Yep, Jeremy Allen White. It's a really fascinating story. And Sean Durkin doesn't, I can't imagine is going to make a traditional biopic out of this, right? So he's somebody who tends to inflect his movies with horror elements and thriller elements, even when, you know, even at moments where it doesn't seem like that's sort of what's going on, which I think makes him an incredibly interesting filmmaker. So I cannot wait to see what becomes of that movie. I think the Efron thing is the most interesting aspect of yeah, it because definitely. not just because it's Zac Efron in a, like a really, you know, chic indie director's film, but 
you know, between the bad but he was good in Ted Bundy movie that was on Netflix a couple years ago to last year's The Greatest Beer Run Ever, which was not warmly received necessarily, but he was good in it. Like, I feel like he's been slowly, plot, you know, moving his way toward that kind of acclaim. Um, and here's a biopic uh, from a cool director. Like, I, I think that he's definitely one to keep an eye on. Yeah. Uh, two A24 movies that I would highlight, um, given that they brought Aronofsky back to the Oscars in a way for the first time in a few movies, interested in Sofia Coppola's Priscilla, um, especially post-Elvis. Uh, it's, I feel like it's exactly the kind of biopic that she would nail. Uh, she's had a few more little-on-the-edges movies that haven't found a mainstream embrace on the rocks was her last with or Bill Murray got a bit of a run there. I think he got a golden globe nomination, but it didn't go too far. I think that was also a 2020 movie that <laughs> largely ceases to exist. Um, but I, I'm really excited for it. And I feel like, she, feel like she's been due for another big moment. Um, and, and already premiere already Sundance premiere, uh, you hurt my feelings, which, uh, I'm just still waiting for a Nicole Hofstander movie. She was nominated for writing for uh, Can You Ever Forgive Me um, to have an Academy moment. It's a very small, lovely movie, but Julie Louis-Dreyfus is so wonderful in it. We talked about it on our Sundance episode, but I would like to see her and Julia at least get a run at Indie Spirits and, and have some life this season because they, they very much deserve it. And that's coming out in May. While we're talking about movies that have already come out, we've already seen, I did just want to say Creed 3. Um, mm-hmm. I don't yes. know what the Oscar path for that is exactly, but it is such a huge hit. Michael B. Jordan is like the breakthrough director of the year already, probably. Um, you can imagine all those best first feature awards uh, at the end of the year. Um, but I don't see any reason why it shouldn't be in the conversation for a Best Picture 10 or yeah. more. Jonathan Majors, Jonathan Majors, Jonathan Majors. Oh, yeah. Majors. Should we Sorry. do a Jonathan Majors category? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think he is the clearest play for that movie in a way um, in supporting. And, well, Rebecca, I know you were going to say something, but I feel like he's just so amazing in Magazine Dreams, too. So Yeah, I mean, I was going to bring up Magazine Dreams because from what we understand, Searchlight bought it at Sundance and is going to try to, like, rework it a little bit. But, I mean, that performance... Um, I have to assume is going to be part of this conversation. And it's funny, I was looking at this list and there's a lot of sports films, mm, which yeah. is, um, I'm excited. I love a good sports movie and they're all very different, but I wanted to bring up Challengers, which is the- oh, I'm Guad- so excited for Challengers. <laughs> <laughs> the Luca Guadagnino, which is a romantic sports comedy starring Zendaya, Mike Feist and Josh O'Connor, which, so we're going to have tennis, wrestling, boxing. I mean, we got it all. Josh O'Connor, Mike Feist is a real angular. Uh, just I mean, I imagine Josh O'Connor, Mike Feist, like angular boy faces. Um, yeah, you know, just, there's there's a lot of appeal there. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah, well, I was going to say, in the interest of both sports movies and uh, not ignoring the movie that's about to open for a second straight year, <laughs> I'm not sure. Like, Air isn't going to be the next Everything Everywhere All at Once in a lot of ways, but just like perusing Twitter as like the reactions are coming out today, I saw it compared to. Uh, Argo, obviously, because it's Ben Affleck, but uh, Moneyball and Jerry Maguire, which were mm, both Best yeah. Picture nominees. So, like, I don't think we should look past it at this point. And there's a lot of star power behind it with Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, obviously. Viola and Davis's Viola Davis, performance. We just said her stock is rising. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe just want to put that out there as a possibility so we don't 
get caught flat-footed <laughs> for another yeah. year. And yeah. Violet Davis in that um, Ben Affleck piece that re- our former colleague Rebecca Keegan did, she is quoted saying it was like one of the, the like the most amazing things she's worked on, like this great onset experience. She got to do it with her husband. Like, uh, so it seems like if Violet, if they want to campaign Violet Davis, she will happily uh, participate in that, you know? Yeah. yeah. And Richard, as you were talking about with Steve McQueen and Ridley Scott, Ben Affleck is another uh, director who has a best picture win under his belt, but not a best director win was famously not nominated for Argo. And uh, in this town full of narratives, that feels like one ready to get picked up at some point. So, yeah. Mm. It's an interesting year for Amazon, who have been pretty much out of the game for a few years, although they have taken over MGM. So they were sort of subtly behind the scenes of women talking a little bit, uh, from what I understood of how that campaign evolved. But this year, they have a lot of really interesting titles and air already at the forefront of that. But Saltburn is a really, really anticipated title, mm-hmm. given that it's from Emerald Fennell, who won Best Original Screenplay for Promising Young Woman, a Sundance debut that went a very, very long way. Um, and this one has uh, Rosamund Pike uh, and Jacob Alordi, and who is also in Priscilla as Elvis. Uh, so he's an interesting one to watch this year. Um, but uh, it's, from what I understand, really has that uh, ambitious production design color palette that she introduced with her first film. And I, I expect this one will be a big talking point. Um, I feel like we've talked around a bunch of the heavy hitters that are coming, Ridley Scott, Scorsese. Anyone else um, we should be looking out for and just, you know, they they are winners in the past. They could win again. I think that was a section of your breakdown you did for us, Joe. Yeah, I mean, not a winner, sort of famously not a winner yet, but I feel like Maestro is the other sort of big heavy hitter yeah. this year to take a look at. Maybe that's our intro into the Netflix conversation because they have a lot on their roster uh, that could open this year. Yeah, that's the conductor by a pick you were dreading last year, Richard, with Tar. And <laughs> Tar turned out to be fictional. <laughs> yeah. um, but my show looks interesting. R- Richard, what do you think? It looks really interesting. Uh, I'm intrigued by Bradley Cooper's just like, I don't know. It just It's an interesting follow-up to A Star is Born, where he's sort of digging deeper into the world of music, which he handled so well in Star is Born. This is a trickier project because not only is Leonard Bernstein really known, but there's tons and tons and tons of footage of him, you know? And so you have to get into this sort of mimicry angle of performance, which obviously does well at the Oscars um, lately, but he also has to juggle the directing and, and other things. So I'm eminently curious about that. I'm, I I would imagine it'll be a sort of Venice premiere, much like um, A Star is Born was. But it feels like if we're putting together an imagined five of Best Actor nominees, it's Bradley Cooper, it's Jonathan Majors, and maybe, speaking of Netflix, it's Coleman Domingo for Mm. Rustin, which he also has Color Purple coming out this year, supposedly. So, like, he's a name that's been percolating for a long time um, in theater, then in television, and now film. And so I'd keep an eye on him as well. Yeah, I think between both Rustin and The Color Purple, I think sometimes you get a good... A narrative that way, especially if they don't end up competing against each other. If you know the the push gets solidly behind one, and then the other one becomes almost like supporting evidence for your for your campaign that mm. you're that you're really good. But yeah, he's somebody who I've been kind of waiting to make the leap into uh, some kind of awards recognition for a while, and he was so good in um, Zola a couple yeah. years ago last year. What is time? Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, I think, yeah, I think Netflix has, I mean, Maestro's a biopic, Rustin's a biopic, John Ridley's Shirley, 
uh, is also a biopic with Regina King playing uh, Shirley Chisholm in uh, in you know her. I don't think it's her follow up role to uh, her Oscar win for Beale Street, but it's pro- it's her most prominent uh, role in film, probably since uh, winning the Oscar. She's obviously somebody who awards voters love in any context, so I think yeah. she's somebody who you should probably keep an eye on. Yeah, she had a bit of a Jessica Chastain run there between all those Emmys she kept picking up and then Beale Street winning Mm -hmm. the Oscar, uh, all peer voted. Uh, I think that the film was held both in production and then in the release because of uh, she had a personal tragedy. Um, So I don't think it was held for any, you know, qualitative reasons. So it's, it's one to look out for. Uh, speaking of, uh, again of Sundance movies, we've seen Netflix picked up Fair Play, um, which I think is a really interesting, kind of, like pretty spiky movie. Um, but I think for those of us who've been rooting for Alden Ehrenreich all these years, it's intriguing. And uh, Phoebe Dinevor, Dinevor, I'll learn how to pronounce her Dynavor, name by this time uh, next year, um, are both really excellent in it. So on the non-biopic track, it's not really a classic Netflix Oscar push in any way, but I hope they they give it a go. I hope they give it a go for screenplay. Yeah. That would be, I think, its best shot of getting in there in a, in a sort of, let's say, a Knives Out slot. Not that it's similar to that movie, but it's a clever genre s- script with political elements. And, you know, I think that that would be a good play if they find that they have the resources for it. That is an increasingly tough uh, needle to thread these years, too, with like a screenplay contender that is not necessarily a best picture contender. Like those slots tend to really yep. get swallowed up by those bigger... Uh, you know, all categories contenders, which to me is a little bit of a shame because there are movies that it's just like you look at a movie and like, oh, that should be a screenplay nominee. Like regardless of anything else, like that should be a screenplay nominee. So um, I'm excited to see that movie though. I'm also excited. This is not a Netflix movie, so I'm sorry to change the topic, but like I did the Oscar recap of the 20 years ago Oscars and there was Julianne Moore for Far From Heaven, the Todd Haynes movie. And this year, Julianne Moore has another Todd Haynes movie coming out called May, December. It's her and Natalie Portman. It's about a couple who were like a big tabloid sensation 20 years prior. And then an actress, I believe, played by Natalie Portman shows up to like research them because she's playing Julianne Moore in a movie, um, which is like a fabulous concept. Um Probably going to be weirded up by Todd Haynes. That's what he likes to do or tends to do. And the Academy has greeted him a bit coolly in the past. Um, Carol famously not getting a Best Picture nomination for one. Um, But I don't know. Maybe this could be the one that breaks through if it has a good festival play at, let's say, Cannes or Venice. Talk about a director who is overdue for a directing nomination. Yes. (laughs) I mean, and I could see, especially if you think about the director's branch, you know, I, I see them less going out on a limb for someone like Ben Affleck and more for someone like Todd Haynes. So this feels like a movie that could meet the Academy where it's at, at least in the nominations phase in a, in a significant way. Um, I have a personal connection to this movie because when I was in Savannah for the film festival, I was in the same hotel as Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore where they were shooting. And they rode in the elevator and they were smiling and they seemed very excited. And so I believe that they are, <laughs> they've made a great movie. I, I, I was there. I saw it. <laughs> Um, anyway, yeah, that's among, that might be my most anticipated of the year. Cause I love Todd Haynes. Yeah. I, same. I, I, yeah. I think Carol was done very wrongly. I think it would have made the best picture lineup if that were a full 10. It seemed like it was just on the cusp and it did get a number of nominations. Um, but he has someone who as a director has been, I think, underserved, under rewarded by the Academy. Uh, two 
quote unquote overdue directors. We can debate how much they are that I want to mention. Uh, David Venture back at Netflix with The Killer with Michael Fassbender as an assassin. Uh, it's kind of hard to tell where that is Oscar-y. And then Alexander Payne has a movie um, coming out with Paul Giamatti. That's a valuable reunion. Uh, Joe, your spreadsheet says it's Miramax, um, which I know is still Did I say movies. that? Jesus. <laughs> Maybe. It's Focus. It's Focus. Okay. It's focus. That, that, wow. that makes more sense. Sorry. Um, of those two, I might be more excited for the Alexander Payne. Um, I was, you know, a fan of The Descendants when a lot of people weren't. Um, his track record has been iffy. Uh, downsizing was real iffy. But um, him reuniting with Paul Giamatti seems promising. Yeah, Focus bought it for $30 million out of Toronto. So they definitely seem to believe in it. So I, I assume they're going to give it a big push. In Toronto, this was screening and the talk of Toronto like crazy. Uh, it it played really well to a number of buyers. It played for buyers only, right? yeah. yeah. Yes, no, uh, yeah, no press thought. Uh, it played really well to a number of studios. And um, spoiler alert, but this may be my uh, my big prediction mm. when we get to it, uh, <laughs> because I think he is kind of due for that. He makes movies with a lot of heart. Um, it has an interesting cast combo of Paul Giamatti, who is beloved, long uh, veteran actor, and someone like Divine Joy Randolph, who is the co-lead in this movie, and who is a phenomenal actor, who is just waiting for that first Oscar nomination. And this feels like a really big, fun role that she can sink her teeth into. And before downsizing sort of... uh Cratered. Oh yeah, uh, Alexander Payne was on record. a. Payne was on a really it was three film streak of Best Picture nominees with Sideways and The Descendants and Nebraska. So this could be a back on track movie for him. There is some real life stuff that they'll have to navigate with that, right? Yes. Yep. Um, but there is. like, look, <laughs> they've done that before. Um, so maybe that won't factor in. Um, there's also Michael Mann, right? Yeah. Ferrari, Adam Driver simmering for an Oscar for a long time now. The STX of that all makes me a little bit nervous, but I think it's just like hard for Michael Mann to get financing because Black Hat did so bad and he makes his movies for a lot of money. But um, that's Driver, that's Penelope Cruz, Shailene Woodley. Um, that's Alden Ehrenreich, I think, is in that one as well, or am I wrong? Jack no. O'Connell. Jack O'Connell, um, sorry. One of the younger <laughs> actors that I'm super excited about. Um, so yeah, that that's always, you know, if there's a big Adam Driver movie from a lauded director that's definitely one to keep an eye on always uh, well one last netflix thing that i wanted to mention and i don't know if this movie is going to be uh big or small or whatever but annette benning still doesn't have an oscar and so it's my responsibility to uh get out there that she's going to be in a movie called naiad where she plays a uh, real life uh 60 64 year old marathon swimmer who attempted to become the first person to ever swim i believe unassisted from cuba to florida uh and that just feels like there are some elements there, right? Biopic, and I imagine it would be a ready-made campaign to just be like, hey, Annette Benning has four Oscar nominations and she's never won, and don't we think she's great? And, you know, if Netflix wants to put a little bit of their muscle behind that, I wouldn't be mad at them. And there's the real life factor that they're still trying to find Annette Benning in the Caribbean Sea, like she's she's been missing. Um, but also the, the people who directed that, uh, Chai Vasarelli and Jimmy Chin, are Oscar winners for Free Solo. Yeah. So they're documentarians now doing. I think this is their first scripted feature. So that's an in, a, added interest for that movie for sure. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned Searchlight already in that they have Magazine Dreams, so they have a couple of other interesting things. Uh, they have the Yorgos Lanthimos movie, Poor Things, which we talked about last year, especially the fact that um, Willem Dafoe's in there and keeps getting Oscar nominations. Gerard Carmichael, who had a really interesting year last year, um, and it's got, uh, I don't know, Joe, do you want to do the plot description since you've been marveling over it? 
Um, sure. As somebody who hasn't seen it, I I feel like I don't quite know the full scope of it. But everything that I'm hearing, I'm hearing Frankenstein esque sort of mad scientist stuff happening. Emma Stone plays a woman who dies and is then brought back by a, a weirdo brain transplant. I believe Willem Dafoe plays her father, who is a surgeon, and Mark Ruffalo is also there in some aspects. It's There's classic the, Oscar the, bait, as we all know. Yeah, you know, we've seen this story uh, told a thousand times. Um, Yorgos Lanthimos not afraid of going weird and dark, which feels like both of those things would apply in a movie like this, and I'm very excited to see how it all shakes out. He he's one another one of those people who has two movies that could conceivably come out this year. Although it seems like Poor Things is going to be the one this year, and um, I think And is his second movie that will uh, maybe likely get pushed to 2024. Yeah, I think he's one of my favorite filmmakers, and I, he's yeah. also like an incredible craftsman. So we can just assume that this film is going to look beautiful when it comes to production design and costume and everything. I mean, will it be too like Lobster is probably my favorite of his movies, but will this will be too weird for the Oscars? Does that exist anymore? I don't know, but I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely excited for it. Uh, the other Searchlight movie I wanted to mention before I stop monologuing is um, Strangers, the Andrew Hay movie yes. with um, Best Actor nominee Paul Meskel. It sounds like you wanted to talk about that too, David. I'm very excited for this. Uh, feels like Andrew Hay is kind of due for a broader awards play. 45 years, most notably, got Charlotte Rampling, an overdue Oscar nomination. Um, but he's been making great movies for a number of years now. And he also made Looking, which was very underrated on HBO. Um, but, you know, I think that this film has many elements, if it comes together in a way that, again, is not too weird Uh that could really play. I mean, it's it's a pretty mysterious premise based on a novel that involves the encounter of two men and the parents of one of the men, and they are all roughly of the same age, I believe. Uh, or no, no one, none of the actors are over fifty. Let's say you've got Andrew Scott, Paul Mescal, Claire Foy, and Jamie Bell, and that quartet—all great actors. Um, and I think Andrew Scott, especially, is the performance I've heard about in this film is really standing out. So um, post Fleabag. Yeah, I was about to say, he, he seems right on the precipice of an Oscar nomination. I'm right? very up for an encounter between Andrew Scott and Paul Meskel in whatever form that takes. <laughs> I'm, I'm down for that. I can't wait for us to evolve, to, to go beyond the word encounter and understand a little bit more of what happens between Andrew Scott and Paul Mescal, because I'm just imagining them in a house, and I don't know what happens after that. I believe it is based on a um, a book, right? So maybe we can go ahead and cheat. And uh, Yeah, and I, I believe it is in some way sexual or romantic, from what I understand. Yeah. So, yeah. Book club, Exciting. coming up in August. Uh, speaking of the weirdness of Yorgos Lanthimos, uh, there's the weirdness of Jonathan Glazer potentially yeah. gifting oh, yeah. us with something. Uh, you know, he did Under the Skin and Birth, and um, he's just a really singular filmmaker who doesn't make a lot. He, do, he doesn't make movies often. Um, he has a movie called The Zone of Interest, which um, I don't know much about. I guess it's a twenty four, but it's about a Nazi officer falling in love with. I guess the wife of someone else at Auschwitz. I mean, so it's Nazis in love, which like, ugh. but uh, <laughs> hey, the reader, the reader made it far. So, <laughs> but the reader did win her an Oscar. So, um, yeah, I'm curious about that. It, it, even if it's not an Oscar movie, like that is Glazer is you know one of the greats who probably is um, undersung. So, very looking forward to that. If it in fact is coming out this year, 
one thing I sort of wanted to throw open to the to the group, maybe as more of an open question, is um, obviously sort of famously uh, Oppenheimer and Barbie are both opening on the same weekend. Uh, Christopher Nolan and Greta Gerwig are both filmmakers who have had great Oscar success, especially uh, as of late with Nolan. Um, and obviously Greta Gerwig has gotten Best Picture nominations for both Lady Bird and Little Women. Barbie definitely does not, on the surface, seem like an Oscar movie. But again, if the theme is, you know, nothing isn't an Oscar movie now, there's a world in which I could see if Marco Robbie is giving a very stylized and sort of high-wire comedic performance in that movie, I could absolutely see that getting an awards push. And I think Oppenheimer, if it doesn't bomb, like the commercial prospects bomb, of that movie huh? fascinate me. Well, God, I didn't even do that on purpose. Oh, Lord. Um, if Oppenheimer doesn't, uh, you know, ignite. No, that's the wrong word, too. Okay. Um, no, but like, if there's not a big mushroom cloud surrounding Oppenheimer. <laughs> but, like, I, I'll i be interested to see what kind of crowds flock to see a movie with that premise and that title. But, like, it does look, just from the trailer, absolutely amazing. And whether Killian Murphy finally gets, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. some Oscar attention there. So like, I'm, what are, what do we all think about the prospects of these two summer movies? Put them both in best picture for both. I'm sorry. Yeah. There's, I'm so there's like no doubt in my mind that Nolan will get a big push. I mean, he's infamous for wanting a summer release and an awards campaign. So right. <laughs> uh, we will be seeing that. I guess it de- depends how the movie is, but you know, it's also, it's his first with the universe. I mean, yeah. he's under this new deal with them, so I think they're really going to support him. So we'll be seeing it. Let's see how the movie is. But I, I wouldn't doubt it. When's the last time Josh Hartnett was in a Best Picture nominee? You know, <laughs> so. No, Josh Hartnett was in everything ever well at once. You just didn't see him. He oh, I see. Okay. He played the Red Cocoony or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> he played Red Cocoony. <laughs> he's one of the hot dog fingers. <laughs> and The Rock. Um, I... I I feel like if Barbie is good, it's absolutely in that conversation. She's she has a perfect record right, right. now, mm-hmm. and she is among I think the most exciting and respected filmmakers of her generation. So if the move if her working on this scale and with this kind of very candy colored commercial premise pays off, I I think the campaign sort of sells itself, and that's a Warner Brothers film. I think of the big studios, they've had the most consistent success of late with. Campaigns for nominations, you know, Elvis may have not not have won anything, but it did very well in that tally. Um, as for Oppenheimer, Nolan's interesting with the Academy. You know, he, he does seem to be driven to some extent by box office success. Um, so I think that is a huge tell, uh, to your point, Joe. Um, but it's also, it feels like the anticipation for this movie is so high that the bar is maybe a little bit lower to that kind of entry <laughs> for Academy consideration. Um, just because I, I think it's just going to have a ton of, it's just a, there's a ton of excitement. And I, I can't see that translating to something completely underwhelming commercially, but I guess we'll see. Am I wrong that that's being rumored for Cannes as well? For like oh, out that of would competition? be interesting. I don't think I'd heard I, that. I had heard that somewhere on the wind, but I, I, if if it's going to be that and Scorsese, I, I, maybe that's too much for one festival, but if it's just a bunch of artfully filmed explosions and then men talking in rooms, <laughs> that might be tough <laughs> for a summer movie-going crowd. Uh, but definitely in it for the Killian Murphy potential, because I would add him again, you know, Coleman Domingo, Jonathan Majors, Bradley Cooper, Killian Murphy, maybe one more person. Mm. 
David Strathairn. Oh, there you yeah, go. Yeah, that's my Sony Pictures Classics movie from Sundance that I wanted to talk yep, about. Me, me too. Uh, well, uh, go for it because uh, I'm I'm excited to have support on my side for this one. I loved this movie. This is the last movie I saw at Sundance. I slacked Richard after I saw it. Like uh, a little prayer, um, just from Angus McLaughlin, who did Junebug, which famously got Amy Adams her first Oscar nomination. He wrote that movie. He's since moved into writing and directing. Um, he did a little movie called Abundant Acreage Available, uh, which I really like with Amy Ryan. This film is a really kind of a throwback family portrait that just plays really beautifully and sweetly. Uh, it has every performance in it is excellent. Um, and David Strathairn is the patriarch and it's very much a film about children and Parenthood not going the way you want and looking at mistakes and looking at beyond that um, solace and what brings you light. And he just brings an incredible gravitas to his role and feels very overdue for another nomination. And yeah, I think this is a classic Sony Pictures, classic Sony Pictures classics play. Um, And Jane Levy, who plays his daughter-in-law, is also really wonderful um, and just has a pretty searing scene uh, that... I think should get her some attention. It's a trite word, but like she's kind of a revelation in it. Like I'd seen yeah, her be charming in things, but this is a different, even though the movie is very quiet and small, like she's, she, the, the two of them together, it's really something. So I hope that through all the noise of atomic explosions and Barbie car explosions, that a movie like that could make its way through the season. Speaking of explosions, sand explosions, we haven't talked about Dune. Yes. At all. Dune two. Um, Tune. Dune 2, excuse me. Dune 1 got 10 nominations, won 6. I mean, mostly below the line. Like, I remember having to predict it winning, like, every below the line category. <laughs> and it did. Um, and I I think, I, I feel like if this is good, it could perform even better this year. I, I, I do have a lot of faith in it, but um, we'll have to see. My hope is that buoyed by the success, the smash success of Mission Impossible, and also the fact that she was, I don't know, maybe in the conversation for Dune Part 1, that Rebecca Ferguson could yeah. somehow get a Ooh. Sigourney Weaver and Aliens, the sequel kind of nomination, because she's so good in that first Dune, a movie I don't love, but um, she, I, I don't know how big her part is in the second part, but like she's in it. So I'm very curious about her. And of course, Austin Butler is, uh, I think, the villain character, villainous character who Sting played in the Lynch film. Yeah. Yeah. Her character definitely has enough to do in the second half of that story that you could definitely see her getting the material to pull together a performance like that. So that would be cool. Um, I do want to wrap us up because we've gone so long, but I want to make sure we mention any other giant movies that we feel like will be worth considering this time next year. We've got Dune. Uh, I mean, Richard, you said Mission Impossible in your piece for us, Joe. You're like, hey, look, Tom Cruise, don't underestimate him at this point. I don't know how seriously you take that. I mean... At this point, if we're just if that's the the perspective that we're taking on Tom Cruise, that you know, thank you for giving us theatrical movies that everybody will go see and make a whole lot of money for, and you know, it doesn't matter if you know it's a sequel to a Long and the Tooth property or anything like that. People seem to love those Mission Impossible movies, and if it's a huge success and that's the story for it, then that seems to be something that voters are going for these days. One other thing I wanted to mention in terms of performance, it's the only other performance on my list that we haven't talked about, is uh, Emily Blunt is in a Netflix movie called Pain Hustlers Mm -hmm. that is sort of being compared to a big, short American hustle, sort of like, this one's about pharma. She's a, I believe, pharma salesperson, and it's sort of, you know, 
bombastic and and you know the, about current events and and how we've gotten into this mess we've gotten into and whatever. But she uh, is at the center of this one in a way that feels like could be a possible nomination push for her. I could see it happen. She's also an Oppenheimer. She's like in a sea of every uh, male actor you've ever heard of. She's the woman <laughs> in Oppenheimer. And so, I don't know. This could be an interesting Emily Blunt year, perhaps. She's never been nominated, right? No. That's nuts. We gotta fix that. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. Um, okay, we got to wrap up. We've talked so, talked so long. There's so many movies to get into. We have to put our money where our mouth is, predict what will win Best Picture next year. One of these years we could be right. You know, like, if we keep trying, we'll get there. Um, does anyone feel confident enough to go first? I have a weird one that's not characteristic of me. Ooh. But if we're talking about directors who are overdue for the big wins, even though he's been a bit not to my taste for the past 10 years, I would say, I'm just going to say... It captures the old flair of Royal Tenenbaums and Asteroid City is just the Wes Anderson's film is just what wins because it's nostalgic and people have loved him for a long time. Even if French Dispatch didn't get any nominations, it's, you know, the best thing he's made since Grand Budapest, which, you know, was a big contender in its year. I love that. Also, it's about a stargazers convention in, you know, in an unnamed desert city. And I believe the 1960s, like everything about that has me sort of swoony. If it has enough poignancy and not too much of this sort of flat arch, you know, ness that I think really hampered French Dispatch, I know people disagree with me on that, but like, then I think it could really connect with people. It gives Moonrise Kingdom vibes, right? From the description, yeah. like about kids, that that could work for him. He'd been kind of moving in that direction before French Dispatch, so it, it does feel like as long as it's not a continued descent. And I don't want to say a qualitative descent because a lot of people love French Dispatch, but certainly that movie was not for everybody. Whereas a movie like Grand Budapest, I think expanded just the, pe- the amount of people who love, who can love a Wes Anderson movie. Um, this feels like it could be more in that vein. So I like that prediction, Richard. All right, David, you're talking. I'm going to make you go next. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with the holdovers. Yeah. I, so sticking with it. I, 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 I'm really thinking about how the Academy has worked lately with Best Picture, and they've definitely looked at movies with strong family themes. And this is, from what I can tell, very much a makeshift family theme. They like movies with a lot of heart. That's the way this movie's been pitched. It has a lot of advanced buzz, and Alexander Payne is a director that, while yes, there will be some tricky terrain to navigate here, and I I don't feel comfortable getting into that right now, uh, not having it all fresh in mind. Um he is a movie. He is a director that the Academy respects greatly, and that um, would perhaps be more a, a more natural fit for that kind of moment with where the Academy is now. So that's what I'm going with. All right, Joe, you go. 
So at the risk of uh, ending up with egg on my face two times in three years and predicting a musical that doesn't end up (laughs) (laughs) succeeding, because I did pick uh, In the Heights two years ago, um, I've got my eye on The Color Purple. It's a musical, uh, an Oscar prospect for musicals has a high variance at this point, but um, the stage musical... And its revival uh, uh, was very well acclaimed. Cynthia Riva won a Tony Award for it the last time it was on Broadway. Fantasia Barino is stepping into that role, which could we have another American Idol contestant uh, to follow that up with an Oscar win for a musical? It could happen. The rest of the cast, uh, Taraji P. Henson, Danielle Brooks, who was Tony nominated for that role on Broadway, Coleman Domingo, Corey Hawkins. I think it's an incredibly talented cast. I think they they have uh, they've got the goods there. And it's something where if this becomes a hit in December and is a sort of widely acclaimed and beloved movie, I think that's you know hitting at the right time. I think it could be a big deal. Okay, I um, like David, and I've talked about this too, that the uh, Oscars are going toward family-centric movies lately. And I really went through your list being like, what is a movie about a family? Because I think you can't, I don't know if it can be about a formed family. And I don't know if it can be a fa- about a family that uh, breaks up, all of the Fablemans. Um, and so I landed on Saltburn. Uh, Interesting. Oh, we know it's about a family. I, I was Googling it, and there were apparently some test screenings where there were raids about Barry Keoghan. I think we all know he really had a, a great year this year. And someone, some Stranger, I cannot vouch for this, compared it to The Talented Mr. Ripley, a movie I love. Um, I think Emerald Fennell is a really, in a really interesting position. Promising Young Woman had its detractors. I was, you know, somewhat among them. But, you know, if this movie improves on that and keeps that sense of style and humor, I mean, the movie it makes me think of is Parasite about, you know, a family up to no good. Um, so I'm going to take a swing on that one. OK, Rebecca, close us out. Well, I was also going to pick the color purple, Joe, but I am going to. um, So if that wins, I also get credit, but I'm going to switch it up. I'm going to pick Blitz, which is Steve McQueen's film, which we talked about earlier. I... I mean, All Quiet showed us a, a war movie does well, and Saoirse Ronan really does not miss, and she's starring in this. So, um, you know, he hasn't had a movie since 2018, and and it's with Apple. So I'm I'm hopeful that uh, that could that could make it all the way. I would love to see Stephen Queen back, and I feel like he has such an interesting interview. You know, he came from the world of art. He's always seemed to kind of like keep all of this circus at a remove, while also you know promoting his movies and making very popular movies. So, I'd love to have him back on. the He circuit. also did that fabulous jump on stage when he won. So I, I want to see that again. <laughs> Even the fanciest art people love having an Oscar in the end. Um, okay, I'm going to run it back down for posterity. Richard picks Asteroid City. David picks the holdovers. Rebecca picks Blitz. Joe picks the color purple, and I pick Saltburn. We'll see in a year if any of us turn out to be right. And that does it for this week's episode and our 2024 Oscar predictions. We'll be back next week to dive into Emmy season and more things that are more actually in the present. Um, In the meantime, find us at VanityFair.com. You can find Joe's piece running down much of what we just talked about uh, there. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at VF Awards Insider. And on our own, I'm at Katie Rich and Richard. Shazam 2 for best picture. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And David? David Canfield 97. And Rebecca? Rebecca M. Ford. Uh, And Joe, tell us where to find you on Twitter and anything else you want to plug. 
I'm on Twitter at Joe Reed. I'm also, uh, my podcast, This Had Oscar Buzz, is on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Uh, we talk about movies that were positioned for Oscars and didn't get any nominations. So come check us out. Our editor and producer is Brett Fuchs, and this week's award for the best description of this podcast prediction philosophy goes to Joe Reed. Not to be like, I was wrong, but secretly I was right. I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. Do you ever see a new face or name on your news feeds and say, who the heck is that? Our podcast, Who Weekly, is everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Think of us as your cheat code to People Magazine, your glossary for Hollywood, a shortcut to understanding pop culture at large. For the past eight years, Who Weekly has been telling listeners everything they need to know about the celebrities they don't. The New Yorker says we spelunk deep into the demimonde with convivial delight. That's a direct quote. Mostly, we're going to explain to you Irish star Barry Keoghan's sudden rise to fame and relationship with a not-so-under-the-radar pop princess named Sabrina. The fake wedding Real Housewives star Cynthia Bailey had to promote a limo rental company. And why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone. Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. From PRX.